Hello and welcome to the St Mungo's podcast. Firstly, a very, very happy Christmas to you all. I hope you had a lovely day yesterday and a special thank you must go to those who worked yesterday, all our staff members around the UK and beyond, who opted to work um, to allow some of us to have time off with our families on Christmas Day. So we really appreciate you doing that and we hope you enjoy um, your own time with your families um, over the rest of the Christmas period. This is episode 26 and this is part 2 of our series titled I Swear to Tell the Whole Truth which is an interview with three legal experts regarding healthcare professionals and the legal system and hopefully most of what you need to know. Now that I am in the midst of editing the podcast I've realised there's a lot more in it than I thought so I think we're looking at probably four if not five parts in total but all packed full of hopefully really useful information. It should be stated again that this is all based on Scottish law. The presumption would be that it doesn't differ hugely around the UK, but I think a lot of the terms will be different, so please check locally um, to ensure that you're doing the right thing um, in your place of work. This episode is all about record-keeping, giving statements and responding to citations. We'll start off with hearing our three legal experts again as they introduce themselves just so that you can familiarise yourself with their voices and then we'll jump right back in. I hope you enjoy. Uh, my name is David Parrott QC. I'm Queen's Counsel in Scotland. I'm also a barrister in England and Wales. I'm also a barrister in Northern Ireland. Hi, I'm Andrew Cuby. I sit as a sheriff at Glasgow Sheriff Court, one of 27 sheriffs here. I'm Maura Orr. I'm the Procurator Fiscal for Glasgow and I work for Crown Office and Procurator Fiscal Service. So I thought I would turn to record keeping if that's okay. So anytime I've ever been called to court, it's often months and months down the line. It's very, very hard to remember the case. Um, and you're often in court reading from your notes um, so I was wondering if I was to maintain very detailed notes, very thorough notes, uh, very legible notes, could that avoid me being required in court or is it always in the court's interest uh, to hear direct from the health professional who looked after the patient? Um, no, it's not always required and very often um, medical reports, medical evidence can be agreed between the parties and there's a, a much greater encouragement for case management by judges to enable formal medical evidence, for example, to be agreed. There is no doubt that uh, legible full notes would be helpful because sometimes doctors are called simply to clarify something that the lawyers haven't been able to understand or decipher. But sometimes doctors will be called, even if there isn't really any debate about what the notes say, in order that a jury or the judge in a fatal accident inquiry hear directly uh, which makes it more vivid than just a dry joint minute agreeing the, the written word. But there's no doubt that intelligible, uh, detailed notes will be more likely to prevent you having to come to court. The Crown and Defence are both under a duty to agree appropriate evidence in the criminal courts in Scotland. And whether we are able to agree any doctor's evidence depends on a number of circumstances surrounding that. If the notes are clear and the evidence is not in dispute, then it may well be that we're able to agree them and you won't require to come to court. However, if the evidence you're giving is complex or perhaps the matter about which you're speaking is one which is in dispute 
by the defence or is almost determ determinative of a part of the libel, then you would expect to be invited to come to court to speak to that because we require to ensure that the jury who make the decision understand the evidence that you're giving and it can be very difficult to convey complex medical issues in the written word on some occasions and on that basis you will be cited to come to court to speak to your records. Moira, what are the common frustrations with doctors' notes? What, what, what sort of things could we do better that would help you? If the notes are well organised and clearly organised, it's very helpful to us. Legibility, as you would expect, is helpful. And given, as I've said, that you may be invited to speak not only to your own notes, but to a fellow doctor's notes, I think they are, all of our interests are well served if notes can be as clear as possible and as legible as possible and in the form, in, uh, within the file, in a logical and easy to follow way. And David, do you have any particular frustrations with patient notes and documentation? Well, I would say at the beginning, uh, it's a lot better than it used to be. You know, when we had the old NHS records of a burst mattress um, and stuff all over the place, and it was all handwritten. And I think it's uh, not an overgeneralisation to say doctors' handwriting was even worse than lawyers. But uh, increasingly with um, computer-generated forms and the like, uh, it's, it's much better. I suppose one word of caution would be, if you have a pro forma, try and fill in the whole form. Uh, what is frustrating is to find that uh, a computer-generated pro forma is missing a crucial box, such as a date or a procedure that was, uh, was carried out. In terms of acronyms, um, don't worry about that. We'll work out what they are, or we will have an expert who tells us what they are. So you don't have to type things out uh, Ad longum, as lawyers would say, at length. Um, acronyms are fine, but uh, if you can try and fill in all of the form, I appreciate how busy people are and uh, how hurried things are. And I also appreciate that the primary concern will be the patient at the time, and very often you're having to fill in records at a later date when perhaps your uh, memory might have faded slightly. That's all appreciated, and that's all okay. That's not a problem. But uh, if it can be filled out in full, that would be good. And Andrew, anything you'd like to add? I suppose I would just urge people to be as legible as possible um, because if the notes are being looked at by people who are not steeped in the culture of the A&E or indeed medical practitioners, it can make legibility much more important in relation to it being intelligible for those non-medical staff trying to decipher them. Okay, David, I'm going to come back to you with some tricky questions, if that's okay. Um, so I've got a, just a couple of scenarios related to kind of record keeping. And I don't know if these have right or wrong answers, but I was just interested to get your opinion. Um, so if I am treating a patient and they name the perpetrator, is that something I should put in the notes? This is a difficult one, actually. Um, I think I would say, firstly, your job is not that of the police. It's not for you to record evidence. Um, secondly, uh, I think you have to act as doctors in the treating of patients and not have one eye on what might be happening at a later stage in the prosecution or in any court procedure that follows. Um, it's not for me to give you guys advice on your own ethics, but it would seem to me 
that would be for you to ask questions pertinent and relevant to the treatment of that patient. That may include something to do with the history, in fact, immediate history prior to admission and being seen by you. But I would shy away from being any record keeper in terms of recording what was said by whom to whom at whatever point. I don't see that being your role. If ultimately it does end up coming to court and uh, there's a record of how you treated that particular patient, it's still open to one of the lawyers to ask you about uh, what you did. I just want to add one thing, actually, and that is hearsay. Hearsay is an evidential concept, which in criminal cases means that you cannot tell the court what you heard. That would be hearsay, and therefore it's, that's prohibited. So even if um, you were minded to tell the court what you had heard, you would be prevented from doing so. There would be an objection to that. And finally, I suppose, just as a writer to all of that, if you had recorded in the record what you had written down, it would be likely that that would be redacted, would be scored out. But I think uh, my advice would be, well, maybe not advice. My uh, my comment would be that try to sh shy away from that, stay away from that kind of thing and stick to the treatment of the patient only. Okay, last one. Um, if I'm treating a patient and they tell me something in confidence, which maybe has relevance to the injury, but they specifically say they don't want the police to know about it. Is that something I should put in the notes? That's a very difficult one as well. These are great questions, Owen. It's difficult because, firstly, of your ethics as doctors, as treating doctors. I understand that you have to inquire as to the mechanism of an injury. Um, as you were pointing out, penetration, dirtiness of the implement, etc., etc. And therefore, I can understand why you'd have to inquire from that patient in terms of history taking how that injury was sustained. If that patient speaks to you in confidence, you will be bound by your medical ethics in terms of what you can and cannot say. Now, the difficulty you've added there, the, the next layer, is that they've talked about not reporting it to the police. Now, there, as we've discussed before, there are obligations on you doctors, as I understand it, through the GMC, to report knife crime for statistical reasons and for awareness reasons of what's happening in the West Coast or East Coast of Scotland, etc. If you were minded to say to the police that uh, this was caused by a knife or stabbing implement or whatever, I think what I would say is that the police will want to inquire further and they will want to ask you lots of questions which you may find difficult. And they might try and exert pressure on you to find out information to lead them to the perpetrator of that crime. Now, it would be a matter for you as the doctor to decide what you choose to do in that situation. But I think I, I would say, generally speaking, that be guided by your own ethics and uh, just remember that you're there to treat the patient and you're not serving the purpose of the police, which is to investigate crime. It's a difficult one, Owen, because you're getting dragged in into what is an investigative process. 
Okay, so we'll move beyond the history taking and and there's kind of two broad ways that we can give statement um, to the legal system. Um, Do you mind just describing, maybe Moira, do you mind just describing um, what those two ways are? When you have been involved treating a patient who is a victim of crime, the police will almost invariably look for you to provide a statement to them relating to the patient and, as we said earlier, the treatment you gave and their prognosis. The police will generally require that very quickly because for the Crown, the difference between a trial in the Justice of the Peace Court, which is the lowest court in Scotland for assault, and a trial in the High Court for attempted murder is often the nature and extent of injuries. So for us, even to decide forum, that is which court is appropriate, we generally require to know what the medical evidence is. So that explains why you will often find yourself pursued by police officers very urgently trying to take statements. You may or may not be asked to sign your statement. And in Scotland, a signed and unsigned statement do have slightly different legal implications. Statements can be used in court In addition to providing us with information to allow us to decide in prosecution, statements can be used in court for a number of purposes. They can be put to witnesses who have forgotten something and help them with their memory. Or conversely, where we feel a witness is being unhelpful or untruthful, we can put the statement to them in an attempt to encourage them to speak to their original statement. So far as doctors are concerned, these statements would generally not be put to you in court against that environment, but rather are there to help you and the prosecutor understand what your evidence is likely to be. Precognition is a different process. Precognitions are undertaken either by members of Crown Office Procurator Fiscal Service on behalf of the Crown, or sometimes by those instructed by an accused person in his defence. A precognition does not have the status of a statement and cannot generally be put to a witness in court and indeed is not disclosable to the defence. Any statement you do give to the Crown will be disclosed to the defence in the course of their preparation to act on behalf of the accused. You can, however, be assured that we will not disclose any personal information about you, such as your home address. Precognitions do not fall to be disclosed to the defence and the Crown will generally use those to explore in more depth uh, your opinions of what happened and to seek further information in perhaps a complex case where the medical evidence that you will be expected to give is complex and technical. The important point to note about precognitions is that you wouldn't normally sign them because they don't have what's called probative value. They don't prove themselves. They are just simply a record of what you're likely to say. As lawyers fully appreciate when you get to the witness box, quite often there's departure from what is in the precognition. We all know that. It's different, however, with a witness statement. And you would have to give these either in a civil context, uh, where it will stand as your evidence-in-chief, So in a commercial case, for example, if you found yourself there, your witness statement will be your evidence and you would be cross-examined straight away. But the biggest one, I think, that uh, your audience will see will relate to police statements. Now, that's a different kettle of fish again, because 
The police will record what you say and they will read it back to you and they will give you an opportunity to revise it or amend it. And at the end, you will sign it. And that will stand as a record in the trial of what you said to the police at that point. Now, why that's important is because if you depart from that in any way at a later stage, you can be questioned about that. Now, it seems to me like there's probably some delays in in getting these statements completed. It always feels like, you know, there's a policeman looking for you or there's something in your inbox to fill out. You might be on holiday, you might be off um, shift for a period of time. So I'm sure it can be quite a frustrating process for you guys getting statements from us. So I was just wondering, Moira, is there anything with regards uh, us giving statements that, that you would like to get across? Anything that we could do better? On many occasions, the doctor's statement is absolutely crucial in the preparation and prosecution of serious crime in Scotland. We appreciate that for busy doctors, it's difficult to find time to speak to a police officer. But uh, we can say that for us, we really do appreciate the time and effort you take to do that. In Glasgow, in Glasgow Royal Infirmary, we have been able to pilot a system whereby doctors provide statements electronically, which means that the doctor can provide the statements in any five minutes he can find to do that. The police don't have to be present for it and it provides all the requirements for us to be able to use that in a prosecution. So I think actually before this conversation, I don't think I'd ever really thought about what the real benefit of a police statement was. I think I presumed ignorantly that it was purely for the police benefit, you know, in terms of investigating the case. But what you're saying is it, it, these have particular importance for you as well as a procurator fiscal. Do you mind just clarifying exactly uh, the benefits of a police statement for you? The police statement is initially obtained to allow us to decide on forum, that is which court we should prosecute the crime in and also perhaps the nature of the crime. After we have initiated a prosecution, we have obligations in Scotland to disclose to the defence all the evidence that we have and that we intend to use in the prosecution of their client. So the statement is passed to the defence, which will in turn allow them to decide how they will use that for the defence of their client and may perhaps decide that on the basis of the statement a doctor has provided the Crown that they wish to instruct either an expert witness on their own behalf or another professional who will come to court and perhaps take a slightly different viewpoint in terms of the evidence that they'll give. So in terms of the statement then, how, how does the police then pass that on to you? Just just for my own curiosity, um, is it electronically delivered? Is it typed up? Is it, or how, how do you generally receive uh, the statements? Most police officers will tend to take a statement from you and note it in the notebooks which they carry about or they may use an electronic form in which to capture your words. They will then provide that to us by electronically submitting it directly into the case directory for that individual accused. So Moira, if you don't mind, I was just going to take you back to something you said earlier about signing statements. Now, I've never been really quite sure what is expected of us. Um, the police seem quite keen that we sign them. I think I'd heard other colleagues at different points in my career saying we don't actually have to sign them. Um, I generally do, so I don't really mind. But um, I wasn't sure if there was a, a definite answer to that. Um, what is the right thing to do and what is the implications of doing so? 
We would absolutely encourage the police to have most witnesses sign the statements that they give because that does then give it a certain status in law. But as far as doctors are concerned who are giving expert evidence or giving evidence as a professional person, it's generally not a matter of great import to us whether you sign the statement or not. And in fact, if the new electronic system is in use throughout Scotland, you will not be signing the statement. But as you prepared it yourself, it still has the same status in law and could be used, for example, to help you in court if a long time has passed between you treating the patient and then coming to court to give evidence. So for us, it's not something that we insist upon. And if you don't feel comfortable signing the statement, then I don't think we would have an issue with that. But it's a matter for you. So many, many thanks again to our very, very special guests. I think my main take-home points from today are, number one, in terms of record-keeping, please keep your notes as clear, as organised and as legible as possible. It's very, very helpful for the legal teams, and it may even on occasion negate your requirement in court. Number two, in terms of documenting criminal information, it is not the duty of the doctor to record evidence, so stick to the medically relevant information. Number three, police statements have a number of functions. They help the police to better understand and investigate the crime, but they are also essential for the prosecution services to determine the type of prosecution and the correct forum or court based on the nature and extent of the injuries. And they are also shared with the defence to help them prepare their case. So they are very important, so please complete them as expediently as possible. And finally, precognitions. These are generally meetings with the prosecution services or sometimes defence teams uh, to help them better understand the case. And they are a record of what you are likely to say in court. They do not have the same status as a statement and they will not be put to you in court. So many, many thanks again to you for listening. Uh, I'm going to finish with something a little bit different now. Uh, We at Glasgow Royal Infirmary this year, we hosted a, a special advent calendar And every morning, there was a different member of staff would do something nice for all the other members of staff during the morning handover. So on my particular day, I was coaxed into getting my guitar out of the cupboard that had been gathering dust for a number of years. So a little bit rusty, but I I managed to get myself through a a version of O Holy Night, which is my favourite Christmas song. And I remembered that I recorded a version of this about nine years ago, hard to believe, um, and I managed to find that recording. So I'm going to leave you with that instead of our usual outro music. But just before we do that, I'd just like to say on behalf of St Mungo's, uh, we wish you all a very, very happy Christmas and a very happy New Year. We hope you have a lovely time with your families and we hope your shifts aren't too busy. Thank you for listening to our podcasts and engaging with our other educational resources online. We're very, very grateful for all the nice comments and we hope that this has helped your learning in some way over the past year. And we look forward to continuing that next year. So many, many thanks again and take care. Stars are brightly shining Tis the night of our dear Saviour's birth Long lay the world in sin and error pining Till He appeared and the soul felt its worth
Okay. 